Malachi is a sermon not for you. Malachi is a sermon for me. And that's a really hard sermon to preach because you say it seems like he's preaching to himself. That's how Malachi chapter 1 verses 6 through chapter 2 verse 9 reads. That's how it teaches. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The way to lead a nation, the way to lead a nation to demise is through bad, weak, poor spiritual leadership. The, the way to lead a nation away from God is not that you would eliminate the office of the spiritual leader, but it's that you would fill the office of the spiritual leader with someone who's spiritually weak. That's Malachi. Let me walk you through Malachi chapter 1, all right? And I'll go through uh, all of chapter 1 here beginning in verse 6, and then we'll, uh, we'll give you a couple of takeaways here, all right? Being mindful of our time today. I don't mean to put that as priority for you. We do want to put the Word of God as priority in a sensitive time nature. Here we are. So I'm just going to read through that text that Todd shared with you. That's our sermon text. But I want to kind of explain what's happening. We said last week, hey, when you're reading through Malachi, you need to ask yourself pretty regularly, who's talking, right? Because it is a conversation. That's different than many books of the Bible, especially Old Testament prophets. But it's this this conversation just kind of back and forth between God and the people, all right, between God and the people of Judah. Here's what happens. It says, this is God speaking in verse 6. A son honors his father. Duh, is what you're supposed to say there. Duh, of course, a son honors his father. And a servant his master, again, you would say, duh, thank you very much, all right? Duh, of course, a servant honors his master. A father is honored by his son. That makes sense. This is how it's set up. There's supposed to be people in charge, people in authority, people who rule over other people, people who give instructions, and the people that are in charge are supposed to be respected. So God says this, If then I, God, am a father, we would say to you, Judah, where's my honor? It's not a casual conversation in the sense of, hey, no big deal. But instead, God is saying, hey, let me tell you something, people of mine, who we saw last week, I have loved you. You've not honored me. You've not honored me. I am in the position, God says, of being worshipped by you, and you have thrown that junk in my face. That's a paraphrase. Now, he goes on. There's going to be some rebuttal here. You ready? Rebuttal? You good with that? And so he says, he says, and if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts. That's the unique phrase for God in the Hebrew. The almighty God is the translation Todd used there. That's great. The Lord of hosts, which means he is Lord over angelic beings. Where's my honor, he says. Right now, the scripture indicates for us that the angels of God, the created beings of God, are majestic in their presentation, right? Beautiful, kind of horrifying stuff. When we read about the Old Testament, angels appear, there's usually people getting scared, right? Because they usually show up to kill people. So angels are in heaven, the heavenly realm right now, and the Bible indicates for us that God is master 
over those angels. Right now, those angels are honoring, worshiping, lifting high God. So it uses this phrase, Lord of hosts, the charge specifically to the people, where's my honor that's coming from you? See, the angels are doing it and doing it well. You've not been doing it well. He goes on. Oh, priest. Wait a second now. I tell you, the sermon's not for you. The sermon's for me. God here is not speaking specifically to the nation, not speaking specifically to Judah. God's speaking to the spiritual leaders. Because what's happened with Judah, the spiritual leaders have refused to honor God. And so as spiritual leaders, they are spiritually leading people to not honor God. How do you fix that? You address the spiritual leader. And then the spiritual leader does what the spiritual leader is supposed to do, honor God. And then what happens? The people are led to honor God. Leadership, by the way, Blackaby would say something like this. I'm going to really jack up this quote, but it's something like this. Spiritual leadership is leading people to do what God wants them to do, but they refuse to do. A spiritual leadership. So he addresses here, he says, priest, you're supposed to be honoring me because when you honor me, the nation, whoa, the nation will begin to honor me. If the spiritual leaders don't do that well, then the nation will do that horribly, right? So, O priest who despise my name, but you say, this is the priest's rebuttal, how have we despised your name? That's the priest talking. How have we despised your name? God, give me some examples. What did we do? God says, verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. I guess that's pointed, right? Give me an example of what I've done that's not honored you. Oh, you let people come in to worship me, and what they brought was garbage. It was garbage. They didn't bring something they cared about. They didn't bring something that cost them anything. They didn't bring something they put an effort into. They didn't bring something that they even loved, uh, something they cherished, but instead, they brought me garbage. And you accepted it, priests, from them and told them, good job, I'm so glad you're here today. You're doing wonderful. Way to go, buddy. And God says, this is you leading people to worship me in a way that I hate. Say that, uh, that's, I don't think God hates worship. Watch this. You ready? He says, verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar, but you say, how have we polluted you? By saying, God says, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. If you're catching this, the point of the scripture, you are not to bring God whatever. Because he's worth more than that. You're not to bring God something lackadaisical, something average, something devalued, something defiled. Something where you would say, ah, here, you can have it, I guess, whatever. That's not who God is. So the spiritual leaders are supposed to guide you in that. Here's what happens. Verse 8, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? So 
If you got nation of Israel, here's what happens. They go say, we got to go to church because that's important. So they come and they see all their animals and say, when I go to offer something, i got to go to church with some kind of sacrifice. So the animals that look good, the animals that can see, well, they're, they're good. The animals that can't see keep bumping into stuff, keep walking off of cliffs. Let's take the animal that can't see. Now, here's the thing that we know. I know that the animal can't see, but I'm going to try to trick God and offer God a sacrifice of a worthless animal. I'm bringing God garbage. And I'm going to lay the garbage out before God and try to convince everybody around me that it's really important. And he says, you're bringing me garbage. You're bringing me things that don't mean anything to you. And when you sacrifice in a way... When you worship in a way that doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't mean anything to God. You get that? Does that make sense, what Malachi is saying? I'm glad that's him, not us. Now, here's what happens. He goes on, verse 8. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not, he says, evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? This goat's going to die next week. Let's get it to church quick. That's the idea, right? So he gives you a comparison. Uh-oh. Present that to your governor and see how he responds. What you're bringing to God, take that to your boss and see how your boss applauds you. Thank you so much for bringing me this, this tripod dog. I mean, th thank you so much for allowing me to have this worthless piece of garbage that you had no value in, no care for, no love for in any kind of way, thank you for giving that to me. And many of you would say, well, my boss now, he might, he might be upset. My president might be disgraced by that. My, my governor might be upset with me. My, I might have some, some retribution. And God says, yeah. Yeah, now we're talking. We're now reminding the people is what God's doing. I'm a God that deserves honor, not garbage. I'm a God that deserves to be praised and worshipped, not to be tricked and manipulated. Huh. So he goes on. He says, verse 9, get this. I don't know if this will ring a bell with you, man. This is, this is ringing for me. Verse 9, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. So as you're bringing these blind, lame, you know, doesn't have a, only has one ear kind of animals for sacrifice, right? Now we're turning around and saying, hey, I really didn't sacrifice anything to you that's valuable. Would you bless me? Would you pour out your best in my life? I don't love you. I'm trying to trick you. So God, would you pour out the best that you can possibly give me in my life. That's what they're doing. I'm going through the motions of showing up for church. And as I'm showing up for church, I'm doing the whole watermelon, 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 because I don't really know the words or don't know how to look up at the words or don't really, even worse, believe the words that I'm singing. But now I'm expecting that this week 
God, pour out his best in my life. Show me your full love, O God. I'm trying to manipulate and trick you. That's what's happening in Malachi. Now, verse 10, it says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors. And, and many people are going to maybe see this a little differently. So let me see if I can be clear in what I'm saying here, how I interpret verse 10. Oh, that there would be one among you who would shut the doors and that you might not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. God is saying, if I can paraphrase this, interpretation would say this, shut up. You say, that's kind of rude. Well, it's kind of a God who deserves our best. Our best. All of our heart for Him only. All of our breath for Him only. All of our energy, all of our effort, all that we are laid at His altar where we would say, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. And He says, I really wish that instead of bringing me the two-legged sheep who has no eyesight and only one ear, instead of bringing that, I wish you wouldn't bring anything. That paraphrases as, if your heart is not in the worship, Stop it and evaluate your heart, your heart. And so this is where we get really specific, and I'll, I'll add this, and I want this to be, again, a sermon about me. So, so, so what this says to me here is this. I'm angry because God refuses to give me the ability to sing pretty or apparently hear things on key. I can't, I mean, I have no musical ability whatsoever. And it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And I wish that I could change that so that you could be impressed and others could be impressed with my musical ability. And God says, I'm interested in your heart more than your ability to be on pitch. Now, some of you, being on pitch is okay if you can do it, right? Don't say, well, I was going to sing on pitch and make an effort, but no, nope, don't have to. That's not the point. God is saying, I deserve that you would bring to me the best possible sacrifice that you can, that your heart, filled with love for me, would pour out to me expressions of praise and of worship. That's what I deserve. That's what I deserve. And if you're not going to do that, he says, I wish that you would just shut that down, whatever it is, going through the motions, trying to be impressive to other people. Shut all that down. Instead, let's come before God and say, here's my heart welling up with love and affection for you. Now, he goes on, all right? Bless you. He goes on, and he says this, I have no pleasure in you. In the verse 10, I have no pleasure in you. He's talking to the priest here, not the people, but the priest I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept offering from your hand. Huh. Verse 11. For from the rising of the sun into the setting, my name will be great among the nations. And I think about how we are called upon to engage mentally in the truth of the greatness of God as we prepare to praise Him and to worship Him. 
to engage mentally. How great is God? God is great enough that he sent his son Jesus, and his son Jesus, he's great enough that his son Jesus lived 33 and a half years on this earth without doing any one thought, attitude, or action that disobeyed God. He's great enough for that. He's great enough that his creation took his son and held his son down because his son allowed it. And his creation murdered viciously his son. How great is God? God is great enough that his son was raised up on the cross. And as he was raised up on the cross, his perfect blood was not taken from him, but he poured it out for you and for me. And you say, well, I'm glad he did it for me, but I know some sinners. Here's the concept. There is no sinner whose Christ's blood cannot save. That's how great God is. And this is why we say this and we believe this. And I'll continue to put this in front of you. We're going to the nations. Because God loves them and wants them to be saved. That's why he sent his son. And he's great enough friendship through you, through me, to do it through broken vessels. He's great enough to do that. That's what's wonderful. Thursday night, again, thank you. I want to publicly thank the people who gave the candy, right? 4,600, 4,500 pieces of candy. You say, how do you know that? I think Tina counted them. She counted them. And then children's team, kids' team came in with help from other volunteers, put those in bags, made 1,100 bags, right? Why? Because we hate dentist no because we we want to show the nations beginning here at crew mississippi beginning here we want to show the nations that god is great and he loves them so we use candy and i was blessed blessed we had kids from our church youth from our church adults from our church but kids from our church came out and we're handing gospel tracts to other kids along with stickers and along with the candy that you donated. Why do we do that? So we can feel good about ourselves? Well, that's maybe a byproduct, honestly. But really, our motivation is this God is great enough to be known by people who reject Him. Now, what we get into here is this, all right? You say, Watch your time, Pastor. Now, he says this, verse 11, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering. Woo! He says, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Priest, it says, but you profane it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. Now catch this and don't miss, don't miss verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it. This is ESV. You snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. So here's what he says to the priest. It's not just the actions that you're doing, priest. It's not just the actions that you're doing in front of the people to lead them astray. But verse 13 indicates... It's the stinking attitude that you have. 
about worship. Your attitude about worshiping God stinks, priest. But don't worry, that's not a message for you. That's a message for me. That's a message for the pastor, the spiritual shepherd of the church. So here's what I'd like to do. And I've entitled this part of the sermon, What Does a Pastor Do All Day? You ready? What does a pastor do all day? Okay? And those of you, we're going to turn to several passages of Scripture. We're going to do it pretty quick. But I'm watching to see who's not turning. Because this is going to come up in your life. Well, what does the pastor do all day? And I want to show you from Scripture. Take your Scripture. Take your Bible. Leave a little mark there if you don't mind. Here's my bulletin. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 20. All right? Acts chapter 20. I'm going to hop through this. I want you to hop through it with me. Some of you who are techie, y'all are just flipping through and you're clicking on little things, and that's laziness, but it's okay. All right? You can use that. Those of us who work for a living, those of us who really want to take the Scripture, we want to take it and we want to turn one way or the other, get to it on your phone, on your tablet, find Acts chapter 20 in your Bible. That's what we want to do. Okay? Ready? Acts chapter 20. We're going to pick up in verse 28, just one verse. What does the pastor do all day? What is the responsibility of your spiritual shepherd, your spiritual leader to you? Here's what Paul says. He's on his way back on one of his missionary journeys. He calls up his friends, his brothers, the spiritual shepherds. The, the biblical word is elders, the spiritual pastors that are in Ephesus. And here's what he tells them in verse 28, Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. That's weird. But he says the number one job of a spiritual shepherd is that you would do what we would call soul care. Not soul train. Soul care. Self-soul care. He tells the spiritual shepherds, make sure, pastor, that you spiritually are taking care of yourself. Why? Because he goes on in verse 28 and he says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders or pastors to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. Here's the idea. Two responsibilities of your pastor. What does a pastor do? What's the sermon to me? It goes something like this. I have to take care of myself spiritually. So that means that I have to have a prayer life. I have to have a devotional life, time in God's Word. I have to have, according to Exodus, I have to have a Sabbath, a day of rest, a day of worship of God, where I'm resting from all of my labor. I have to have an evangelistic element in my life. All of these things are things that I have to have. I must take care of myself. And church, I say that to you because when you see your pastor not caring for himself, it's going to destroy you. Uh, this feels uncomfortable. Because we don't talk about this because we talk about a, other, a lot of other stuff. This is essential. You ready? If I'm not spiritually healthy, you can't, grow spiritually with my help. Is that making sense to anybody? I need some help here. If I'm spiritually weak and you call upon me, I will lead you into sin. 
That's what's happening in Malachi. I'm uncomfortable with the pastor talking about leading me into sin, right? It's reality. And when we don't talk about this openly, what happens is we turn a blind eye to it. And you say, pastor, I'm sure he's busy. Pastor, I'm sure he's okay. So I'm going to lead my life without any spiritual influence from him. Here's what he says. You ready? He says, care for yourselves so that you can care spiritually for the people of God. Two responsibilities. Now, let me lay this on you. All right, you ready? Turn from there, and let me show you just a couple of places. First Peter. Let's turn over quickly. First Peter. All right, First Peter. Oh, man. First Peter. Time is my enemy. First Peter, chapter 5. And I want to show you this. The pastor is responsible all day long. He's got to make sure that he's spiritually healthy. When you see that your pastor is on the verge of not being spiritually healthy, the best thing you can do for you is to get into your pastor's life so that you could benefit from your pastor being spiritually healthy. Strangest sermon I've ever heard. 1 Peter 5, catch this, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as pastors, as a fellow elder, Peter writes, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So here's what he says. He says that your pastor needs to pour into you spiritually. So here's what you need. You need a prayer life that's healthy and dynamic. You need to be in the Word and to grow in the Word. You need a Sabbath, a day of spiritual rest from your labor where you can focus and be regenerized, rejuvenated with God. You need these things. Your pastor needs to make sure that you're doing these things. Right? So say, can we get some practical stuff? Sure. Sure. December, where we celebrate little baby Jesus boy born in a manger. Y'all heard of him? Jesus, right? When we celebrate him, there's going to be some things that your spiritual shepherd needs to encourage you to say no to. No. But it's good, good, no, no, no. Should the church suffocate your calendar? You want to pray about that? No. We need to learn to say really good yes. So that means we got to say great no. No. About three of y'all getting with it. Ready? Cool, this would be a great place. Turn over then to Hebrews. Turn back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, all right? Y'all are doing so great turning or flipping with your iPads. Hebrews 13, okay? Here we go. I'm going to pick this one up next week, man, because what does a pastor do all day? Here we go. Hebrews 13, 17, <laughs> great one to leave, leave with. Ready? The author of Hebrews, whoever that is, we're not sure. Some people say Barnabas. Some people say Paul. Here's what the author says. He's trustworthy. Ready? Verse 17, obey your leaders 
This is the author speaking to the church. This is the author speaking to the church, and he's not talking about government. He's not talking about popo. He's talking about your spiritual leaders. Obey them. Mm -hmm. And submit to them. That's a, a word we get uncomfortable with because of trust issues, right? But here's why. Your spiritual leaders are keeping watch over your souls. What's the pastor's responsibility? Self-soul care, soul supervision for you. I don't do one, I can't do two. You need two, so I need one. It says this, they're keeping watch over your souls, and something I take very seriously from the Word of God, as those who will have to give an account. So my understanding from Scripture is that when I die, unlike you, when I die, we all will stand judgment before Christ, even the redeemed. And as we stand judgment, what he will say is, what did you do with the time that I allotted to you? And each of us individually will have to give an account for that. He'll know our hearts, right? But me, how I'll be different from you will be this. He'll say, yeah, but I gave you Friendship Baptist Church. And I wanted you to make sure that they were healthy spiritually, to make sure that they knew me spiritually, they pursued me spiritually, that they lived lives of peace and hope, that they lived lives where they were in the Word, knowing the Word, convicted by the Word, rebuked by the Word, where they were corrected by the Word. I gave them to you, Casey. What did you do? What did you do with them? And that is for, I ain't talking about pressure, that's for our oldest member, our divorced members, our married members, our college students, our kids, our youth. My challenge from Malachi is that I would honor God and lead you to honor God. To lead you to honor God. So there will be times where we will take God's Word together every time we meet. And we'll open the Word of life. And we'll say, God says, sometimes our offering is just going through the motions. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. This is soul supervision. So I invite you today to join with me, not, I hope, in a spirit of anger or disappointment, but in a spirit of support. I love you, and I'm responsible for your soul. I'm responsible for shepherding you. I'm responsible for leading you in a spiritual path. I'm responsible for telling you when you're getting close to sin, we don't want to say, eh, it's all right, man, you know, we're buddies. No, we're supposed to say, put it down. Walk away from it. I love you, so stop. I love you, so start in some cases. And so the Lord has brought us together, church, and he has brought us together for this one purpose, Malachi 1.11, that his name, not mine, not yours, his name will be great among the nations. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we come to you today. And Lord, it's, it's my prayer, not that your name just would be great, but God, that we would want your name to be great. That we would desire that your name would be great. That we would long for the opportunity to make your name 
great. So, Lord, I confess to you, there are times when we're so busy. We push out making your name great. God, there are times when we're so preoccupied that we forget our calling is to make your name great among the nations. Sometimes, God, we're in such a comfortable routine of things that we forget our responsibility is to make your name great among the nations. Lord, I pray that you would raise up, one, worshipers through Friendship Baptist, people who long to make your name great, and as we long to make your name great, that people around us would see how we worship, would see how we live, would see how we drive, would see how we act towards others in the community, and they would see your name is great. Lord, would you call out from this place ministers, missionaries, would you call out from this place people that will intentionally give their lives to go out from this place and go out to make your name great among the nations. It's not something I can do. God, this is your calling on our lives. Would you evaluate God at this moment? Would you evaluate our hearts? Whose name do we want to be great? Whose name do we want to be great, God? Would you reveal that to each of us who are believers? Would you reveal that right now to us? Whose name do we want to be great? And whatever's in our heart that's standing in the way of making your name great, longing for your name to be great, would you reveal that to us as sin? Would you give us the courage to confess and repent, to turn from that, so that your name would be the only name that is on our hearts? Your name would be the primary name, the number one name, the only known name that people know from our lives. Your great name. Your great name. Lord, we need your help. Would you use us? Would you change us? Lord, as we stand and as we sing together, Lord, we stand and we sing with open hearts, longing for your name to be made great.